Hmm. You know, I really thought I would like that too. Like I played the demo and I was like, man, this isn't nearly as over the top as I thought it was going to be. Well, like it's not, it's not like, oh, Darbara, super, but it's a fun shooter with lots of cool stuff going on. Welcome, everybody, to episode 31 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards, and I'm currently pissed off because people are playing Diablo 3, and I'm not. I'd like to lodge my disappointment and pissed offness as well, and I'm Steven Taylor on the boards. And then we have our resident Diablo 3 hater, naysayer, and Dungeon Siege 3 lover. You know what game oh, I yeah, really okay. like? Oh, yeah, that's good. All right, moving on. <laughs> I really like Titan Quest. You know, I never played Titan Quest. It's pretty I, fun. Rah, rah, I won't play Diablo. I've never played Titan Quest. You know what? Is it called Diablo? No, but then screw it. But it is Diablo two and a half. All right, Diablo two and a half. Well, let me break it down. Every hack and slash RPG that has come out since Diablo two, Torchlight included, and don't get me wrong, I like Torchlight, is just Diablo two point five. It's hey, that game was cool. Let's add more stuff to it. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's, which is it's great, but Diablo three is not. Diablo 2 with more stuff in it, which is why it will be awesome. No, exactly. So we have... Blizzard, Blizzard, my email address is stevenmnrpgfan.com, so when you can get that beta code out to me now. Well, they've only started the beta for, uh, what, friends and family of Blizzard employees, correct? No, it's out to regular people now, too, I think. Ah, Blizzard, come on. We're like your podcast. We're just pimping Diablo 3 all the time. We are free advertisements. We can advertise better if we have the game. Yeah, I know, right? We can do better. So obviously there's a lot of Diablo 3 to be talked about as soon as one of us gets the beta, and probably if Steven gets it, I'll kill him and take it and vice versa. But there are lots of other releases going on right now, including the game with the trailer that I swear to God, if I read one more review with a mention of that trailer. I can't remember. John, did you mention the trailer in your review? No, I mentioned it in the update for the review, but I didn't actually mention it in the review itself, which was funny because I was originally intending to. Okay, I'm just so t- – we're talking about Dead Island, obviously, and I'm just – I'm so freaking tired of people talking about this trailer. Like, the but, trailer that came out in February was gorgeous. It was awesome. It was, like, probably one of the best put-together trailers. Totally CG, no gameplay, and we all knew that it wasn't going to have anything to do with the actual game. But and then, and, honestly, brilliant on, on Deep Silver's part. Yeah. Because they, it doesn't matter if the game has nothing to do with the trailer. It got so much hype. Exactly. Like, they got attention. This was a game that – correct me if I'm wrong. This game was announced in 2005. So, like – It was? I thought, I thought it was announced this year. No, yeah, no. Was this game, this year too. Go, go ahead. Wikipedia that right now. That game was <laughs> announced years ago, and everybody had forgotten. I thought it was Shuffleware. I didn't think there was any chance it was going to come out. And then that trailer comes out. Everybody gets excited for it. But it's like – Everybody is complaining about the fact that this game, you know, doesn't have you killing children and ha- making deep philosophical decisions about zombies. John, prove me if I'm right. Uh, have we already lost Steven? Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Prove me, uh, you know, right or wrong on this one. To me, it's just Borderlands with melee weapons, right? It's it's Borderlands, but not as good with melee mm-hmm. weapons. 
like I well, I really enjoyed Borderlands. Borderlands was an incredible amount of fun for me. Like I even though I don't like Diablo that much, I, I don't have a problem with that style of gameplay. Like Borderlands, which is essentially Diablo with guns. Yeah. Was a very fun game. And I think, you know, the the overall structure of both games are pretty similar. You have action RPGs that are both oriented around loot that have a very, very weak quest system and pretty much is about, okay, can you find three friends? Good. You will have fun. Uh Oh, Borderlands. (laughs) That's what we were talking about. (laughs) Steven is back on the show now. (laughs) Sorry, I only caught the end of that. So, no, we were actually talking about how Borderlands and Dead Island were exactly the same. Um, The problem is Borderlands doesn't really do anything wrong borderlands is fun all the way through it's got kind of it's very quirky you and and here's the most important thing the loot is good like there's many different weapon types there's there's many different things going on and that that's kind of my gripe number one with the dead island is the loot sucks why aren't there like flaming baseball bats and stuff well here's the thing you get and and here is the thing here indeed is the thing (laughs) take a shot everybody (laughs) uh so there's essentially i don't know four or five different weapon types um and and they really all belong in three main branches you have edged weapons you have blunt weapons and you have firearms and anything Anything tends to be, you know, so I have a, my I, I'm playing a Sam B. I've got my game up right now. So I've got a sickle. I've got a machete. I've got a baseball bat, a baseball bat, a sledgehammer, a pistol and an assault rifle. Uh, really, I only have three weapons. Yeah, they have different stats. And one of my baseball bats has nails in it. And one of my baseball bats is on fire. He's got a board with a nail in it. <laughs> Which, um, just quick aside, totally nothing to do with that island. Uh, I saw that World of Warcraft is introducing uh, uh, the ability to transform items. Mm-hmm. So you can have any item look like any other item at cost. And uh, I'm very excited to see just how many of my friends uh, and my father will have their high-level equipment have be a board with a nail through it. I would be okay with that. I like the Simpsons joke. <laughs> So now if uh, Dead Island is kind of – if you're not digging on the loot, and that's kind of the main driving force of the game, so what does it have to fall back on? Like, Well, the the game has a very, very, very entertaining melee combat, and I, I that is a caveat. It's just the melee combat that's entertaining. Um, you know, so, so hey, I just got an achievement. Um, I turned the game back on to, uh, to play around here, and the – so the game does a very good job at – letting you have it's a very visceral combat if you've played um uh, as i mentioned in my review condemned or uh the chronicles of riddick mm-hmm. the melee combat is very very reminiscent of that uh you can attack the zombies in different areas if you slash them in the arms you'll cut their arms off you can slash them in their legs you can decapitate them immediately and it does a very good job at at having entertaining melee combat um the problem is the gunplay is the exact opposite. If you've played uh, any of Techland's other games, like uh, Call of Juarez, it, it's kind of that same, well, I have guns, but who cares? Mm-hmm. I, you know, and and 
what what's actually works well for the game is that guns suck against zombies. Guns don't kill zombies. Baseball bats with nails in them that are aflame kill zombies. Well, yeah, I think, pre- well, pretty I think, much. I think what John's pointing out though is like we we're so inundated with shooters right now. You know, like every big release feels like it's a shooter, and if you don't match up to the best shooter combat, then it immediately looks bad. And it sounds like Dead Island should have just stuck with what it was doing well and maybe developed it more. Like you brought up condemned, like condemns melee combat was freaking awesome. Like just smashing a dude's face into a TV. Like that was just so yeah, it felt visceral. really brutal. Yeah. It yeah. felt awesome. And I'm just like, I really wanted a game to come out and do that. So is dead Island. It's kind of like, it's good with the melee combat and yeah. like, the the melee combat is very entertaining. It, it does get tough if you get caught by a bunch of different enemies, mm-hmm. because like, so I I ended up with with Gabriel's sledgehammer for a big chunk of the game, which you get from one of the main story quests, and it's a legendary level sledgehammer, but it's also very slow. So you get caught by these enemies, and you swing, and you get hit by the time before your swing finishes, so you don't really have you know, it you have to kick because the kick is the only uh, the only attack that isn't interrupted by enemies. And it's kind of, oh, I need to get everybody out of here. Let's kick all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the game also has really interesting skill trees. So I, I played a little bit as all four of the characters, but I played the great majority of the game as my playthrough as Sam B. And Sam B is the washed up rapper who voiced is, by Phil Lamar, right? Yes. As all <laughs> black characters in video games seem to be these days, it's Phil Lamar or I don't know. It's pretty much just Phil Lamar. Hey, so, Vamp, Vamp was voiced by Phil Lamar and he was pale like a vampire. I, 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 I have a feeling Phil Lamar and uh, Nolan North could voice entire video games on their own. Oh, and don't forget Jennifer Hale. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would enjoy that. It isn't you, Jennifer. You say just, that as if I would not like that. Isn't Jennifer Hale also doing a voice in Diablo three? I think she is. Probably. Um, I just and... want Nolan North to be the wizard, so that way he can. <laughs> so that way he can make freaking uh, Nathan Drake quotes. He'll be like, "Oh, perfect!" When you walk into a room full of freaking lightning enchantments. <laughs> so each of the four characters in Dead Island, getting getting off of our voice actors have their own unique skill trees. So Sam B is good at blunt weapons. Logan is good at thrown weapons, being a former football guy. Um, <laughs> Perna is good at edged weapons. And John May is good with pistols. Well, each of them have their own individual skill trees. So like uh, Sam B's special ability that I got that was incredibly useful was, uh, if I knock over a zombie, I can curb stomp them and immediately nice. kill them. So it's it's cool that, you know, it's it's not because uh, in Borderlands, even though your characters had each class had a unique ability, it really didn't feel like the characters were any different. You could play as any of them and get the exact same experience. And it's not quite the same here because they do have unique skill trees and they have unique abilities beyond that first one, which is is a good plus here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was kind of like you said that the loot in Borderlands was really good, and we've talked a lot about Borderlands on the show. Like, 
I thought the loot was good, but there was no, I didn't know, like, I, I would often forget who I was playing as, like, which character, because the skill trees were so boring, and then, and this gets to Dead Island, um, in Borderlands, most of your upgrades, most of your ability points that you're putting into skill trees, they just gave you statistical bonuses. Is that the same way in Dead Island, or are you doing, like, completely radical things, like shooting out an army of toads, for example? No, there there aren't completely radical things. Um, so there are three skill trees, Fury, Combat, and survival um fury is uh yeah fury is a big part of the game that's that's your kind of like special meter bar um when you attack zombies your rage bar fills up and you hold b and you go into and at least for sam b i actually didn't do any of the other the other rage stuff for sam b you kind of turn into this hand hand-to-hand berserker and you just punch zombies and they explode um so all, all the rage stuff, it tends to tends to be purely statistical. So for Sambi, it's rage gained when doing this, damage less when you're in fury mode, fury lasts longer and each punch sends enemies into the air, rage acquired, you know, lowered, health increased while you're in rage mode, whatever. Um, same with survival. Survival is all kind of, okay, you regenerate health faster, you loot more money, you get more ammo, you can lockpick. Uh, you, I, oh, that, that's an interesting one. I actually didn't, I didn't go very far down in the survival tree, but some of these are interesting. You get double or triple experience if you break enemies' bones. Hmm. So, so there is some stuff so, here. So DMX would be at an advantage in that game. I don't what? get it. Oh, well, that, that game, that, that old wrestling game, Def Jam, that had DMX in it, all his moves involved breaking bones. Oh, okay. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Oh, but I, I, like that, that is one of the good things about the game is that it has these interesting skill trees, which kind of make up for the the crappy loot. Like for the first, oh, I don't know, seven or eight hours in the game, your loot is pretty much, OK, what do you have? Broken broomstick, uh, crappy sickle. You know, it's it's stuff that is not interesting. You actually don't even get your first pistol unless you're. uh John May, I don't remember John Mayer Perna, who's who's pistols, um, but you don't get your first pistol until six or seven hours into the game, and it's it's good because that's that's the first time you really see a human enemy. Mm-hmm. But wait, like a like a non-zombie? Yeah, most the enemies throughout the the first big chunk of the game are all zombies. You get human enemies eventually once, and they start appearing more and more once you get into there's there's a city. Once you get into the city, you have more humanoids or humans, I suppose, because zombies are humanoid to fight. But I don't know. There, there's there's something about the the shooter combat that just bugs me about this game. Does it just feel unresponsive? Well, so I think my big issue is you get uh, it, it follows as just about every shooter in the past seven years has the Call of Duty thing where, yeah, you have a, a reticule that gets bigger if you shoot, and then but you can aim down the sights and all that kind of fun stuff. Aiming down the sights is unhelpful. It feels like Fallout New Vegas where the iron sights get in the way more than they actually help. Ooh. So again, it just gets back to the what the game does well is the melee combat, and it just kind of feels like the shooting combat's just kind of there. It, I mean, it's funny that we're talking about Dead Island, and I'm starting to it. 
you could easily make it sound like we're talking about Dead Rising or something like that. Which uh, totally, I, I honestly feel like part part of part of what Dead Island does with its loot is okay. So you have these three classes of weapons, but each of these three cl- there's also explosives. So I, there, I suppose there are four classes of weapons. And you go and you can modify them. So you can have, you know, you can attach like electrodes to your machete. And when you chop in zombies' arms off, they are electrocuted. If they stand in water, you get more damage. There are systems in place that are worthwhile. Mm -hmm. But I forgot what I was talking about. (laughs) I true, like, I know I'm talking about weapon modifications, but I don't remember what my point was. What what was our what did you ask me, Rob? I don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember either. <laughs> See the kids—they listen to the rap music. We just had an Alzheimer's. We just had an Alzheimer's moment on the podcast. All right, uh, I'm going to ask about questing now. Oh, Dead Rising. You were asking yes, about Dead yes, Rising. That's what I was talking about. Uh, waffles, tasty waffles. <laughs> Dead Rising does the whole weapon modification and creation thing ten times better than Dead Island was. Like, I had so much fun, even early on in the game, where you're like, oh, bucket plus drill equals I have a drill helmet that I'll toss on zombies' heads and they'll die. That's so much more entertaining than the kind of modification stuff that you get in Dead Island. And Dead Island's like, okay, do I want something on fire? Do I want it to electrocute something, or do I want it to explode? Mm. Also, one one thing that really bugs me is I know that this game was developed in uh, Europe, but all of the cars, the driver's side, is on the right. Oh. And when I go to get into drive and I get into the passenger seat, I go, damn it. <laughs> and I have to get out and go back in in the driver's side. <laughs> well, now, uh, the other thing about this game that really struck a lot of people was, you know, the absolutely gorgeous looking environments. Like, it looks like a really pretty game. Does it hold up in actual gameplay that way when it's actually running? Or So, as I mentioned in my review, so in the Xbox 360 version, there are a lot of glitches and there is a lot of pop in. Um, both when you load a new environment and you have a whole bunch of texture pop in that. And when you're walking around the, you know, kind of the jungly areas, stuff like ferns and that sort of thing pop up and it's really visible. It's not like some games where the, you know, you can see them pop in way in the distance. No, it's like they pop in like 20 feet in front of your character. And it's really unfortunate because the game's environments are really pretty. It's just they have nothing but a bunch of pop in. Mm. How do the zombies look? Are the zombies cool? So the the zombies look good, and in every in every area, the zombies have different stuff that they're wearing, and they they except, except the women, right? The women always wear uh, bikinis. Oh gosh. The, the bikini zombies, just about everywhere. And we wonder why, like, there's a chauvinistic attitude going on in video to, games. To like, be fair, all all of the zombies that have bikinis on are on the beach. Okay, all right, I'll give them that. When when you get into the urban areas, the women zombies are not wearing bikinis. Okay. Oh, okay, that's good. All right, that's much better, actually. Just trying to make sure, so... But, um, uh, the actual, the human characters, I don't think, look as good. They... Like, because they, they kind of have living eyes, you know, they, they're supposed to be, oh, they look around as opposed to zombies, which are supposed to look crazy. And it doesn't really work. It gets kind of in that uncanny valley. Yeah. yeah. And 
they, there were certain cutscenes where I would watch Sam B and I'd freak out at his eyes because they <laughs> it just it just wasn't right. <laughs> so overall, like it, it doesn't sound like Dead Island's an atrocious game. It doesn't sound like it's you know a bad it, game. Yeah, well, the problem with Dead Island is Dead Island for every cool thing that Dead Island does, it does something wrong. And it's the quests are not that. That's one thing I forgot to touch on. The quests are not very fun. Um, I know we talked about that when we were comparing it to Borderlands. Every quest is okay. Uh, escort me. Uh, go kill a bunch of zombies or find this thing for me. So we keep bringing up Borderlands. Like I gotta try it. Uh, maybe the third time with Borderlands will be the charm. Like no, I, you need to, you need to just play it multiplayer with me. I don't know. I I really didn't like the the multiplayer with Borderlands. Like you remember the editorial that I wrote at the beginning of the summer, and I talked about how like Borderlands does that absolutely atrocious thing where like if you're level six and you try to do a level seven quest, you just can't win. It's it's not oh. quite that drastic, but yeah, it does do that. Yeah, and that actually issue with uh, with Dead Island about levels. Uh, so enemies scale to your level in Dead Island, but they scale only to the level of the host of the game. Uh, so you could bring in somebody that literally is carrying around like Thor's hammer and could just like whack their whole way. Yeah. The game so so Kimberly and I were playing, and because she was working on on Crimson Alliance, we were not playing all at the same time the multiplayer and you we also ran into the issue where i was host and she was fighting a thug which is just pretty much a zombie that doesn't move as fast but knocks you over and literally the thug would hit her once and she would die whoa and so whenever she was playing with me so we could try out the multiplayer she would have to host because otherwise she would just die constantly yeah that's the way I felt playing Borderlands a lot. Like if I went and did like a quest that said it's going to be tough, I'd get there and like, you know, two shots later I'm dead. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, what the hell, guys? And then I come back after leveling up once and, you know, I could literally just like take so much more punishment. And I don't know, like that was a disconnect. Do you, do you feel that when you're playing Dead Island as well? Like it sounds like it's kind of there. Well, it, it's only in multiplayer when you have people with different levels because the game scales everything. Yeah. yeah. So right. if you're playing in single player or your host, nothing feels wrong because they yes. are. Sorry, Steven, what, what was that? Sorry, I'm playing Xenoblade and I killed a really hard monster. Which to all of our, our readers, we will be having a Xenoblade podcast. Uh, it should be the next one, I think. Yeah, I think we're going to do one next podcast just because that is like the big JRPG release of the year. And we want to give that game a lot of coverage. I know that, you know, uh, what was it? Project Snow, whatever. The, so Project many people Rain, want Operation to play about. Rainfall. Yeah, Operation yeah. Rainfall. So, Sorry to interrupt, though. Um, I just fell through the world in Dead Island. I didn't have a whole lot of bugs the first time through. I heard people did, but uh, <laughs> that that's the first thing I ran into. You just fell through the world? I just fell through the world. Literally, a, a, a thug knocked me over, and I fell through the world. Did you see the devil from, what was that movie, uh, Legend? No. I kind of feel like he would be at the bottom of the world. <laughs> what? Tim Curry. Like, I just, if you're going to imagine someone Falling the through the, the universe, world. you will find Tim Curry. <laughs> no, I'm just earning style points right now because my girlfriend's in the room and she loves that movie. So I'm just trying to get a Legend reference into the podcast. <laughs> John, give us a final thought on Dead Island. Dead Island is fun and entertaining, and if you like melee combat in shooters, you will like this. Um, 
I, I feel the same way about Dead Island that I do about any of the Fable games. They're not bad games. They're just bad RPGs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes that happens. And I think we talked about how, you know, RPG elements are in almost every video game today. And it's, you know, sometimes it can really work for the game's advantage and you feel like you're getting stronger. And sometimes it's just numbers, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and there there is a very distinct, you know, it's a level up system and all that kind of fun stuff. It's a legitimate RPG in that sense, but it's just not a very good RPG. Oh. You know, the story is absolutely abysmal. It's we're on an island. Let's get off. Oh, there are zombies. Wait, 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 wait. Let me let me predict it. And then there's the military involved. And oh they want my to use god! It as a weapon, and they want to use the zombie virus as a weapon. No, it's it, there's military involved. Okay. Is it uh, umbrella? Does Hunk come down and try to kill you? No, but Tofu does, and it's way more badass. That would be awesome. Tofu. Wait, is Hunk? I thought Hunk was the name of the tofu in Resident Evil. No, you're right. Hunk. No, no, no. Wait, no, wait, wait, wait. wait. No, Hunk, Hunk. Hunk is the is the umbrella special forces yes. guy. Tofu is the giant block of tofu. Yes, I can see how this was easily confused though. Yeah, that actually does make sense. No, it, it does. It does. It tofu does. made a funny noise when he got hit too, because he'd be like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, is that enough Dead Island? Do we want to talk about uh, digital devil something or other some? Some Shin Megami Tensei game. Let me break it down for you. It's Shin Megami Tensei Digital Devil. Crap. You screwed no. me up. <laughs> it's Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclocked. Okay, that's not nearly as bad as Raido Kuzanoha versus Army of. Soulless Army. Nerp, nerp, bugs. <laughs> All right, so this is the 3DS release, right? That's right. Yes. Um, it's the 3DS version. It's. I guess to break it down for anyone that's not aware, although they might be if they're already interested, um, it's the same game as the DS version, but it has higher resolution graphics to fit on the screen. Um, they've made a bunch of tweaks and additions here and there. Um, and if you haven't played it, it's the best version of the game, and it's very long, totally replayable, and a complete freaking blast. Is it going so, to take advantage of the second analog nub, which is going to be put on the 3DS? Oh, my God. It's... <laughs> Don't get me started on that. We're talking about that in news, but uh, it's not. Well, I suppose we. Sh I, it's not really RPG related, but I guess we can. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I will wait. But um, like if you've played the original a lot, you may not get as much value out of it. But I did. I beat the original twice, I think, and I, I didn't get all the endings. Um, I watched most of them on YouTube. But um, they've added enough stuff that if you've played it before, it's still a. You know, a lot of fun to play. First of all, they added turbo mode to combat, and it, it's a it's a strategy RPG. So turbo mode is amazing because I'm able to get through all these pointless menial battles that I already know the story or whatever. Because uh, the big thing in the game is the eighth day scenario. The game takes place over seven days, um, or originally did, and now there's an eighth day that takes place after the final battle of the original game that continues the story. Um, they did forget to mention, and this is kind of sad. Certain paths in the game, um, notably the best one, mine, does not have do not have an eighth day. It makes sense in the context of the story, but it still sucks because they don't give you any sort of indication. You know, like when they when they were advertising the game and you know when they talked about it, they never once mentioned you know oh by the way, not every story has an eighth day. Um, but fortunately, the game now has three save slots, which it didn't have in the original, so it's much easier to go back. And that's what I ended up doing and pick a different path. Um, 
they added I can't remember if the original I'm pretty sure the original had new game plus but they've they've added new game plus if it wasn't in the original and I honestly can't remember um, they added an easy mode um, they added voice acting which is not terrible but not awesome yeah I uh, I we got demoed some of it at uh, at e3 and it really didn't seem as impressive as Atlas's usual fare for voice acting yeah like because especially after like digital devil saga I mean or even Catherine. I mean, the voice acting in those games is awesome. Yeah. In this one, well, Catherine had good voice acting. You know what? Uh, we're gonna have to bleep this. But my favorite line in that game was "fucking blocks." I'm going to climb the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to leave it in. You know, no, my, no, I, you we're, know we're my stance go- on Catherine. <laughs> Probably one of the most overrated games of this year. But did you play that on normal yet, John? No, I beat it on easy and then get, and then that was enough for me. Yeah, I went back and I started playing some of the last levels on easy. There is no comparison between easy and normal. Normal is just the not fun version of Catherine. Easy is the one that kind of makes you feel smart and is kind of a challenge. Normal just curb stomps you harder than Demon Souls. Impossible. No, I'm serious. And I'm sorry, that game's story just absolutely crapped itself inside out at the end. I'm sorry. I know it's not an RPG, but I just. I just want to say I think Catherine's a little overrated, and I think it's the result of not a lot of good JRPGs and not a lot of Japanese good Japanese games coming out this year. At and least you like, know whenever they release a Shin Megami on a next-gen console, it's going to look awesome. Yes, that is true, and that makes me happy. So tell us more about Overclocked. Um, but yeah, one of the coolest things they added is they added um, – it's a system of achievements, and, you know, it's achievements. And in a, in a strategy RPG, that's kind of fun because it gives you a little something more to shoot for. So there is a lot of stuff there if you've already played the game to just kind of get a little more out of it. And the new story in the eighth day scenarios is cool. Uh, one of the one of the routes actually has two different ways for the eighth day to play out, and the game doesn't force you to replay the whole game. So it's it it, it manages to avoid that pitfall of you know they re-release a game and then you have to replay through all this stuff you did before to get something very minor like the Chrono Trigger on DS. The new dungeon sucked. The new final boss was stupid and. You had to play through the. I mean, not the playing through Chrono Trigger is bad, but if you've played Chrono Trigger a hundred times, you're going to be disappointed. In this case, they make it so easy to get to the new content uh, that it's not at all frustrating. And plus, the game is just better with the turbo mode on because if you want to grind, you want to build up crazy awesome demons because uh, there are new demons and there are some new skills. Um, you know, it, it's definitely accessible. And if you haven't played it, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't because it's completely awesome. Um, the story is great. The combat is really tight. I mean, it's. It's a Shin Megami game, and it's my second favorite one after Digital Devil Saga 2, which for me is saying something because I still need to play those. Um, I'm not trying to troll here. I'm really not, but I am going to ask a question because it just – it is getting me getting to me a little bit, and I don't want to take too much away from news. But you know, we just had Persona 4 The Golden announced for PlayStation Vita. We've had – what is it? Persona 3 end up on PSP. We now have Overclocked like – Am I the only one that kind of feels like Atlas kind of milking stuff a little bit? Like, I'd rather see new content. Like, don't get me wrong. It's awesome for someone like me who didn't play Persona but 3 it, when it came out to play it's, Fez. Uh, it's, 
they are still giving us lots of new games, though. Um, Atlas yeah, US, sure. Atlas, Atlas USA in particular is is localizing a lot of stuff that you'd never see them localize in the past. Okay, maybe so maybe – okay, so let me rephrase. Maybe I want to see the Shin Megami Tensei guys. I want to see the guys that are working on that series and all of its spinoffs. I'd rather see new stuff, even if it is. Wow. Hey, you know, Rob, do you know what that team just developed? I hear it's this puzzle game where you pull blocks. Yeah, and that wasn't fun. No, they're making – they're, that's they, a they, br- that's a brand new game with a brand new concept, Rob. Yeah, it doesn't work. It's it's <laughs> so, they're it's making Persona Five too. Yeah. It's pretty. It's been admitted they're making Persona Five. So. Did they admit it? I was looking for that. Yeah, I mean story. they flat out said that the people were you know developing it and stuff. It was oh, on Silicon Era. Oh, I'm so but, happy. Yeah, I don't think they're milking it so much because they don't really make a habit of that. Because you know they legitimately added stuff to this game. Like it's not like when Square Enix again to bring up Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger DS had a nice interface and a new translation, but for all intents and purposes, it was just a straight port with some... Right, and and I'm not trying to fight with them, you know, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you guys are giving us more content, I'm mad at you. But, like, I I guess I just don't have... If I played, for example, if I played uh, Devil Survivor, if I played it once, I wasn't... I know me as a gamer, I wouldn't pick up Overclocks because I'm like, well, I already played this once and there's a ton of new stuff coming out. I think it's great for the people that missed it. Again, I missed Persona 3 the first time. So playing Fez was freaking awesome. But like – Well, and, and Fez is a different story. You know what? I, I, I hear you on re-releases and ports. Fez was a totally different story. In Japan, you could buy Fez as a separate expansion. Right, right. And I think in, that's huge. It, well, but it, the game in America, buying Persona 3 with Fez, was less expensive than buying the original game. They released oh, yeah. it at twenty nine ninety nine. So yeah, it was awesome. I, so I, I I have to disagree about the whole about Fez being kind of a cash in or or something because no, it was. I, no, I just think it started a really it started a weird trend. Like I'm I'm very conflicted here. Like we have you know HD releases coming out of like Metal Gear Solid and Zone of the Enders and all this. See, can never go through a podcast without mentioning Metal Gear. But like we're having all these blah re- blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Blah, yes. blah, 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 blah. Thank you, thank you to the reader who who uh, sent us the email saying you know he he pretty well scripted out the podcast and one of Rob's lines was blah blah Metal Gear Solid blah. What was the other line? It was like um, uh, Barkley shut up and jam, and then oh yeah, because we talked about Barkley shut up and jam guy, which I played. And then I was like, I love vampire, and then John tried to say something else, and I was like, vampire is the best game ever. So we people are listening to us, and they they get robbed pretty well. <laughs> no, I I just. I don't know. I, I'm finding myself with so much limited time to play games these days. Like I barely got any of Space Marine in this week because it was like the first week of school and this that, and the other thing. And like I don't have time to play re-releases as much as I'd like to. You know, it doesn't mean that so, I don't. So, see but you it. don't truth, have to. Truthful. That's that's the thing. Like you, you know, one thing that I've noticed, and th- this is something. A, a lot of the audience for RPGs and JRPGs in particular are are younger. Right. JRPGs, you know, all of us right now that are recording this, we're we're in our mid to late 20s. And, you know, we all have jobs. We all have, you know, stuff that we have to do outside of, you know, gaming. We don't have the kind of time that we had when yeah, I, was, I mean, it, you it know. takes a lot of time for me to get my drink on. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Zach really is right now. He just didn't <laughs> give the podcast. He wanted to drink. Thanks, Zach. Well, he just got back from Japan. Give him a break, dude. You got to get over that. I, miss, I still miss it. 
<laughs> no, but John's right. And I think that it's it's hard to decide how you're going to spend your time. Like, it's funny, in the middle of the summer, I just kind of like planned out my whole fall. I was like, okay, uh, we got Deus Ex at the end of August, and then I got a little bit of a break, and then I got Dark Souls. I'll have about two weeks to play that, and then Arkham City comes out. I have a couple weeks to play that, and then freaking Skyrim comes out, and if Diablo 3 comes out, it just nukes the whole fall holiday season. <laughs> It's like Diablo 3 is just like the red missile button that just annihilates everything. All right, dude, Rob, let's be honest. You're exaggerating here. Diablo 3 doesn't nuke the whole holiday season. It nukes the next several months. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And then after about two months, another several months. And then after about two months, another several months ad nauseum. You know, one, one thing that I find interesting is when I was younger, uh, I played almost exclusively role-playing games. You know, I would go from Fantasy Star to, you know, uh, Landstalker to, to to a bunch of different RPGs on the Genesis. And it feels like, you know, I love RPGs. There's a reason why I've been working on this website for the past decade. I love RPGs. They're, they're fantastic games. But I find myself now playing many more types of games, you know. Instead of sitting down and playing an RPG for eight hours straight, I'll play maybe Shogun 2 Total War or... You know, I play a lot of NHL and I play games that aren't RPGs and it's nice to have a palate cleanser. I thought about that, too. And I think a big reason, too, is that back in the day, RPGs were the most complex games there were, period. I mean, you could you could dig in. And now a lot more games, you know, even like simpler concepts, you know, like a shooter is a lot more complex than they ever were before. Do you guys? I mean, at at this point, you know, it's kind of like. You can get immersed in something besides an RPG, I guess. One thing that started happening to me, and I'm glad that we're on this topic of conversation. It sounds really cool. Is like I've started playing games that are really, really complicated. You know, like uh, there's some even action games and RPGs that are super complicated. You know, huge skill trees, lots of variables that you can adjust. Do you ever just look at some of that stuff as soon as you fire the game up, and you're kind of just like, oh, there's so much to do. Like there's, it's overwhelming. I, I know exactly how you feel. Um, Paradox. A lot of Paradox's games do that to me. Like, I love uh, Europa Universalis. Oh, gosh. But I'll, and, <laughs> and that's pretty complicated, but I'll fire up some of their stuff, like Hearts of Iron. And I go, what is going on? You, I have... you to... And see, I think that one of the best games to, like, come along that was super complicated but, like, eased you into things at a really nice pace was something like um, uh, Red Dead Redemption, which is this huge game with, like, so many different variables going on, so many different things. But But the the base gameplay systems in Red Dead Redemption stay – yeah, they add a little bit, but the base gameplay systems stay, stay pretty solid throughout the entire game. Right, but the world interaction is very deep, and it does feel like when I'm playing Red Dead, like, I was eased into that world. Meanwhile, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, like, after the third mission, I was just looking at the map, and I was like, okay, there's, like, 30 icons on here. Okay, okay, you and I are talking about different things when we say stuff to do, then. Here, John, I think what you might be talking about is a game like I, Divine Conspiracy. Oh, my God! You jump into that game, and it's like, LOLs, here's some options, bro, have fun. Yeah. So maybe I'm talking just strict things to do, like a checklist. 
Yeah, no, what what Stephen and I, are, I think, are talking about is the game It just kind of drops you in, and they're like, oh, yeah, there are a whole bunch of game systems here, but we're not going to talk to you about them. Okay, okay, I see what you're talking about. I see what you're talking about. Now, I, I look at games very much as a checklist because I like to get my money's worth out of the game. I like to sit down and, you know, you know I'll, I'll be honest, I like to platinum a game every once in a while. Like, I did everything in Arkham Asylum. I really enjoyed it. I did everything in Dead Space and most of Dead Space 2. Like, I really like playing games that have like a nice checklist of things that i can do i feel like i accomplished something i feel like i'm getting graded at the end of the day but if you just drop me into the world and you give me almost too much to do and i'm kind of worried that skyrim's gonna do that to me like i just kind of like regress which i i have no problem getting dropped into a world and just like oh there's a bunch of stuff going on because i i don't have to finish everything when i play games and that's been throughout my entire gaming life i go and i'm like oh do i want to go do that yes let's go do that do i want to go do that no screw that quest yeah and see i'm very i'm i try to be a completionist i think i've gotten away from that in recent years like we talked about Catherine. i beat Catherine, and that was not because i was enjoying that game i just wouldn't let it beat me like I sat down and I beat that thing. I was on a mission from God to beat that. <laughs> and like that hasn't happened to me in a while, but like you know some games I just never, you know, I never finished LA Noir and that's very uncommon for me. Like I'm very much a at least beat the game and Steven and I were talking about how Steven only plays a game typically once, but he plays it on the hardest setting. I like to play I like to find a game that I can play three or four times. Like Dead Space 2, I must have played that game through six times. I need to uh, get that. It's really good. Uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, I'm on my second playthrough. I'm not sure if I'll play it through again, but like I'm on a second playthrough. Demon Souls, I think I've beat that game seven times. I find it very, very interesting that Rob says, I don't have enough time to go back and play (laughs) re-releases, but he'll play the same game over and over again, which is something I've never been able to do. Like I I beat... I beat Deus Ex, and I was like, I'm done. Bye. That's a good point, but I think at the same time, I I like to play... This gets back to me as a gamer. I like the games I like, and I really, really like the games I like. I like the games that you know make me feel powerful, that make me feel good at a game, or that G up with my gaming style. And there's very no. few of those games a year, and I just want to hold on to them. Like Resident no. Evil 4, I, I don't even want to know how many play, times I played that game through. Rob, you are going to think that I am trolling the crap out of you, but you need to play Toy Story 3. Really? I I am not joking. Toy Story 3 has an entire mode and like half of the game where it's like Grand Theft Auto with Toy Story characters. That might actually be really fun. (laughs) What? It, no, it's it's called toy box mode, and it's just totally it, you go out and you're Buzz Lightyear or Woody or I don't remember who you are, and it's like oh, there's a whole bunch of Grand Theft Auto stuff going on where you go and you pick up quests from different people, you talk to like the pig. And... Damn. The other thing I really like is um I love choice in video games, and I think that's why like I played Vampire through almost four times over the summer, but when I played oblivion for example oblivion doesn't have a whole lot of choice it just oblivion is very much a checklist game it's just do you want to do this do you want to do this do you want to do this meanwhile dragon age origins and fallout 3 are very much you complete a mission you get to the end you make a choice and then you get something for that choice and i love to replay those games and see what the other choice was going to be i love that stuff fallout new vegas was very good at that yeah i gotta give that game another shot because they really patched it and it's supposed to be playing better now and i i really want to try it again you know the game that it should have been i just couldn't get into that game like it just 
my problem with that game was it wasn't a wasteland. Like it was well, a game with the Fallout and three engine that but, took place in a heavily populated area. Like you couldn't walk you, twenty feet without falling over somebody. It wasn't supposed to be a wasteland though. In in the story of Fallout, kind of the Las Vegas Valley is is kind of exempt. It's not like they got hit by a bomb, you know? Yeah. Like the, I, just, I don't I don't know if I like that though. Like Fallout is about a wasteland. I mean, it's not Fallout if the place is perfectly fine. It's just like going through a trashy town. I mean, what's different about that in regular Las Vegas? Oh, <laughs> oh snap. That I don't be... talk about your hometown. You don't just... know what his hometown is. He's from somewhere up northeast because all them places are the same. <laughs> hey, <laughs> all them places. Those people don't have purdy mouths. <laughs> So, uh, very good discussion, guys, but I think we should probably get into news. Um, can we... Rob, Rob is just trying to save John from kicking my ass. Yes, it's true. Uh, we, we've got a little bit of time. I mean, do, do we want to... Did we have a third game that we wanted to talk about? I don't remember. I, I really haven't been playing a whole lot of RB. Can I talk about Vampire for an hour? Can I? <laughs> wait, wait. Look, we have 45 minutes before I have to go fantasy draft a hockey team. So does oh, that crap. Mean... I forgot about that completely. Does that no, mean... no. The... the... The, the RPG fan fantasy hockey team got pushed back, and both of you guys need to go sign up. I'm Pull not going to fantasy hockey. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Can, so wait, does that mean I can talk about Vampire for an hour? No, we don't have an hour. Oh. Guys, if you, you want know, we, we, we have, I'm going to go to the listeners on this. I'm going to go to the listeners on this, because I've tried to get like a vampire podcast together. Y'all want me to talk about Vampire for an hour on a podcast? Just Email John. <laughs> email john and john will never let me see the email so you know what rob you're welcome to have a vampire podcast and it'll be a monologue why why do you hate that game i don't so i just good. i haven't i have no desire to talk about it i you know what i i played it what was it six years ago when it came out and i really got everything i needed out of the game six years ago did i buy it again when it was on steam sale for five dollars yes i did do i feel the need to talk and talk and talk about a game that was neither a classic nor a, a giant misstep in the world of rpgs no but you know what the one thing is about that game that just it really gets me and it really like it keeps bringing me back i don't think i've ever played a game that had that high a replay value because every vampire class was different and now granted some vampire classes are not fun to play as in that game like after about an hour of going through the sewers as a nosferatu you start to get a little pissed off meanwhile if you play as like a malkavian you're just having fun and yelling at stop signs <laughs> but like it it's just I kept playing that game and I was getting a completely different experience every time I played it. And I don't, to me, that was just so amazing. And, and yes, the game completely folds in on itself, but just, you know, if they make a Deus Ex 2, I want it to be as open as Vampire. And I think maybe I'm asking for way too much there because, like, you know, it, you're asking for so much non linear uh, gameplay, but. Troika, Troika was amazing at that, but there's a reason why Troika only had two games. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's it's a good point. It's a good point. It's just I really, to me, Vampire was just like the last of that really archaic, old school like PC RPG where you could just do whatever the hell you wanted and like and I don't hold your hand. Yeah, that the I don't hold your hand game and it's gone now. And I, I kind of. I'd like to see it expanded on a little. You know, it, it, it's it's not. If you go and you go hunting, Rob, you might actually really like Mountain Blade. 
Never heard. Yeah, my roommate plays Mountain Blade all the time, and he swears by it. Like it's it's a it's a PC RPG from Hungary, I think it is, or Turkey, or one of one of those. Those Eastern the, Bloc states don't like me. Neither of those are Eastern Bloc states. I'm, I'm, it was a freaking <laughs> joke. It was yes. in poor taste. <laughs> no, I there's you know I don't Turkish. know. Turkish. It's Turkish from Turkey. Oh, okay. Turkey. I like Turkey. It's delicious. Goes good on sandwiches. Wow! Now Every the, the, joke made by a sixth grade going a sixth grade student going into the social studies class for the first time. I'm just wondering. Well, look, at least look. It's because I went to Hungary and I wanted some turkey. Okay. <laughs> and the second joke made by every sixth grade social studies student. Don't hate on it because you didn't think of it. Okay. <laughs> I really missed podcasting with you guys. So. <laughs> All right. This stupid. Um, I'll throw out real quick that to anyone that listens to this, I love Xenoblade. Yes, I we are. Uh, we already talked about it once. We are going to have a Xenoblade podcast. I think we're going to try to maybe record that uh, next weekend or the weekend and, after. I really want to do that. Xenoblade fans will actually will you'll be seeing new people for this because most of us aren't in Europe or didn't import. Yep, and I'll be honest, Xenoblade has me so interested. I am seriously thinking about buying a Wii and going out and buying the uh, European release. I'm All I'm gonna say, in it. just just like I told you, Rob, when we were when we did the interview the other day, it's what Final Fantasy XII should have been, and that excites me because as much as I didn't like Final Fantasy XII, I really really wanted to, you know, just a couple of balance issues here and there, and I think the international or whatever whatever it's called the Zodiac uh, job version. Yeah, but the that... combat still sucked in that version. It was still just match match attack 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 cast heal attack attack attack. Yeah, well, that, that's because the game has to load your black magic spells, and sometimes it doesn't, which I, which was weird because nobody ever mentioned that in a review. Did you guys notice that? Like, I, I, it happened to me multiple times. It got me killed on the last boss one time. Like, the magic spells just didn't load, and he was just wailing on me, and I was like, um, casting cure right now might save me. Why is no one doing it? The spell's loaded, and I'm dead. You should have used I, an item, bro. Happened to me multiple <laughs> times playing that game, where I was just confused and like I paused and made sure that like nobody was asleep or silenced or anything. No, the game just wouldn't load. That's weird. I don't, I don't think know. I don't I don't think that was a fault of the game. Though. That was really just I mean I mean I guess they could have made it so it didn't do that, but that was kind of like a hardware thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it might have been a hardware issue. It really could have been. I don't know. All right, I want to talk about the 3ds. I want to I talk about this. I don't have 3DS news. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about how they're putting a freaking second analog oh. nub on it. Is you know this what? Just, yeah. Is this just, they, is this just a... a confirmation that the 3DS was poorly designed and it's going to get a reboot? Dude, no, this is, no, this is there, a confirmation. There, there's no way that Nintendo abandons a handheld. Um, especially, you know, everybody's like, oh my god, the 3DS has bombed. 3DS has sold like 10 million units. That's like the entirety that the Dreamcast sold in the two oh, years. Oh, no, it's it's not the bomb that I'm scared about, John. Like, everybody was talking all doom and gloom about 3DS. It, that's not what... No, but I, I, I don't think they're going to abandon and redesign it so that you would have... It, you, you'd have to buy either this attachment or a new handheld. I, I truly don't think that's going to happen. Not yet. I think that they're in a really difficult position because they're not going to get ports of, like, you know... GameCube style games because there's only one analog stick. The analog stick's not required, and if they want to like be all competitive with the Vita, which they can say they don't want to, but they clearly do. Um, you know they have to do that. But on the other hand, 
you can't risk splintering a fan base that's already small. Yeah. The, like, the, no, it's it's like the 32X, the Sega CD. Nobody is going to release games that require a second analog stick unless it comes packaged with every single thing. The the issue I think Nintendo is running into is Nintendo and then the last generation with the DS, they they could afford to not abandon, but release games that were not always focused at the core gamer. Uh-huh. They don't have that luxury anymore because of the iPhone and Android markets. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other podcasts, I know they've talked about it on 8.4 Play, they've talked about it on Weekend Confirmed. You have to start acknowledging the fact that handheld gaming is radically changing. And iPhone and iOS and the iPad, it's fundamentally changing the way people play video games. And as much as Nintendo and Sony want to say that they're not competing with the iPhone, they are. I can't well, agree with I, it fundamentally changing I feel changing like they things. are. I I feel like Nintendo is competing, but I don't feel like Sony is. I don't yeah. think that yeah. I, I don't think the Vita is coming to the same market. I think the Vita is targeting the same market that the PSP targeted, which is the hardcore market. I could agree with that. Yeah. I could agree the with that. The thing you know, is I I, I think sorry, that sorry. Uh, go ahead. I'll I'll write down what I was going to say. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> The thing with the iOS games and all these handheld games, I've bought a ton of iOS games and Android games, and I play them for 10 minutes, and then I never touch them again because they're all the same. They're just derivative versions of, you know, console games with lackluster controls. Every now and then you get a game that's built for the handheld. You know, you got, like, Sword and Sorcery, you know. You'll get something like that, but the thing is, the game, they're not the same kind of games that you play on a, on a dedicated I- handheld system. I have more fun with apps that are not games, but are rather game-like on the iOS than I do with the games. Like Harmonix's vid rhythm is yeah. hilarious. No, I would or songify. I would agree with you. I mean, I played some. I played some iOS games, and I, I think I even tried to review one. It was like Queen's Crown or something like that. And after about two hours, I just posted on our editor's board, like, I can't review this because, like, I just don't want to play it anymore. Like, I'm just – my brain is turning to mush. Like, this is just terrible. But I think <laughs> – but I think, again, it, it shows that the market – the iOS isn't targeting us. I think it's targeting everybody else. I think it's targeting the group of people that went out and bought DSs and bought like brain training and maybe and Super Mario Brothers and, and nothing else. Yeah, no, they're targeting that much more casual market. And the point I was going to make earlier is uh, the Vita is not competing with the iPhone because the Vita, I think, is is if you give it a competition in that space, it's competing more with the iPad or the iPod because it's a standalone gaming machine. People aren't buying this to be a phone. And I think that it's going to do that job better than either an iPod or an iPad. And it's going to do it. It's it's going to do it at about the same price as the iPod. And it's going to do it cheaper than the iPad, even if the individual games are more expensive. Yeah. And I would also think I also think you have to argue that the uh, PlayStation Vita is going to be competing with the console games, with the consoles, because it's releasing at a similar price point to the consoles. That's kind of weird to think that we have a $250 PlayStation 3 out right now, and in a couple of months there's going to be a $250 PlayStation Vita. But this is this console generation is very different. This is around the time that we would be seeing a new console. You know, the Xbox 360 has been out now for six years. You know, the, when the, the original Xbox had been out for six years, the Xbox 360 had been out for a year already. True. Uh, just to break podcast for a second, Stephen, where did you find that glorious, glorious picture of Dark Souls? On our threads, on our board for Dark oh, Souls. Oh, man. That's, that... that's the European box art. Okay. 
why is it that everyone has better box art than we do? Europe is getting good stuff lately. Uh, yeah, they got Xenoblade. So, <laughs> so that's right, it. We, I, I, we, just we to get, no, I know. Just to get back to the 3DS real quick, and then, then we'll get back to news. I just think that depending on how this goes and depending on pressure from developers, it wouldn't shock me if in the next year or with the next – I mean because we all know they're going to iterate on the 3DS. That's just what they're going to do. They're going to iterate on the 3DS. There's probably going to be a 3DS oh. Lite or whatever. Yeah, they, they iterated on the DS. Sure. I just think that the next version might have a second analog stick, and then all hell is going to break loose. The, I the, think the, that would be foolish – to the yeah. extreme they, they they did that slightly with the dsi where there were like three or four games released in north america that you had to have a dsi for right and they didn't sell well no true true i we got to see i think nintendo is in a nintendo is in a very precarious situation right now i think it's the same situation that they were coming off of the super nintendo i think there's a lot of arrogance going on right now and i just to me, it's the same way it was with Sony. Sony was sitting there saying $600 PlayStation 3, everyone's going to buy it. And just now, you know, years later, they're finally competitive and they're finally selling at a decent clip and they're finally caught up to their competition, their main competition. Nintendo kind of throwing their weight around a little bit. Wii U, people a little cold on the idea. 3DS selling well, well but not as well as people thought. I mean – People are cold on the Wii U because Nintendo doesn't even know what the hell you're supposed to do with it. Well, that's a good point. I just, I, to me, Nintendo has really reverted back to their old ways when they were like, "We're going to make a console uh, with cartridges," like they did with N64, and they said, "We're Nintendo. This is how it's going to work. We're going to run over PlayStation." I just think they got to be real careful because they have a lot of really positive market share right now. They have a really positive ap appeal from non-gamers, from parents, from casual gamers. They have a lot of positive appeal, and I feel like they're getting close to running it into the dirt. My, my problem is that they, they think – and again, I'm not the biggest fan of some of Nintendo's – like, you know, those legendary series. Like, I mean, I think Metroid's pretty fun. I kind of like Zelda. I, I have never given a crap about any Mario game. You know, Star Fox I never really cared for. And they can't keep marketing their entire system based on, well, here's another Mario. You guys are going to love it, and you're going to buy it. Yes, they can. You know what? They can't do that to you, but yes, they can. Yeah. That, oh, that's irritating. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah, because they can just make it. They're timeless games, and they can market them to children. They can market them to, I mean, for God's sake, guys, we're getting to the age where we're going to start having kids. You know, what do you think they're going to want to play? You just well, said that because your girlfriend's in the room, bro. No, she's out of the room, thank God. Uh <laughs> But like my kid is probably going to be indoctrinated in in Demon Souls, of course, because you know I'm I'm crazy like that. But you know, Rob, by the time your child is old enough to play that sort of game, they'll be playing it with their feet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you use your hands. That's like a baby's, a baby's toy. toy. <laughs> baby's toy. I have no uh, idea what you guys are referring to. Back to the future. Back to the future, dude. <laughs> oh. It's been years since I've seen those movies. All right. What? Moving on. Give us some news. All right. Professor Layton and the Last Spectre coming out in North America on October 17th. Is this not only the 18th is... game? Fourth. But not only not only is there the Professor Layton kind of adventure -y puzzle game, there's also a fully-fledged RPG inside the game called Professor Layton's London Life. Awesome. <laughs> Does he, like, beat people with his hat? I don't know, but it, that's that's very interesting to see. I'm excited now, John. <laughs> that sounds kind of cool. 
but yeah, no, that's that's a very very interesting that they're they're going to have a full on. <laughs> I love that comic. Uh, Stephen just linked us to the uh, the Penny Arcade from uh, February thirteenth of '08, which is about uh, Professor Layton, the first one when it came out. Nobody in this game will help me unless I do their math homework. <laughs> <laughs> I have twelve mid stick. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed this again. I'm good at that, I guess. All right. Uh, <laughs> Le- <laughs> Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. There's going to be a special edition that comes with a gold controller. Is that the game everyone's worried about? What? There, there seems to be a lot of worry about it right now. Like, the <laughs> last the last time they showed it off, people were kind of like, nah. That's because it's not Ocarina of Time 2, so ergo Nintendo fans must complain about it. He yeah. said it now. Please direct hate mail to Stephen Meyer and Cat. <laughs> yeah, and later on I might even rant about Dragon Quest. I'm just trying to get hate mail now. Oh dear, oh dear God. <laughs> All right, uh, more news. Uh, White Knight Chronicles 2 is out. Uh, by the time you listen to this, probably it's out this next week. In the U.S. Yeah. Whoa. Aren't you reviewing it, Stephen? No, I'm reviewing the first one. I mean, uh, I guess I'll review the second one. Yeah, I, I think that we can. We we we've had a quest. Literally, we have been having one person that is going to review White Knight Chronicles for the entire time the game has been out, and it's shifted from person to person because everyone seems to hate it. I I can't. Well, I took it because I kind of enjoyed it when I played it on GameFly. I just didn't have the time to finish it, so I sent it back. But I mean, you know. But the second one's out uh, on the thirteenth, and will have the first game with it so with, with the, the new sec- engine. with the second game's engine yeah so that's kind of cool i might give that a shot i mean I'm, I'm still remembering that e3 video where i was like oh my god there's no way it's going to be this good and then it was <laughs> right. an mmo npd non-charting game dungeon siege 3 going to have an <laughs> expansion slash dlc coming out in october yeah what's all in this thing like i missed this news story uh, a new story has been created where players leave the kingdom of ebb and head to the aranoi desert while searching for a lost legion hero lucas discovers the greatest treasure to the azunai faith this expansion will also add many new monsters and lots of loot to the game increases the level cap to 35 adds new abilities is that the what? diablo 3 beta no i don't care well, I'm sorry, that's not fair. No, it's great to see an expansion to the game. I think it's a little late, and I think Obsidian, if they can start working on their DLC you know schedule, I, I, with I don't it, think it's a little I, late. That's that's, yeah. com- that's completely different. An expansion pack. I mean, Lord of Destruction came out like a year and a half after Diablo. That 2. was Diablo two, which is like the best but, thing since you know, Jesus Christ from, walking yeah, the earth. Hold on. <laughs> hold on, both of you. I think Obsidian has proved with the way that the Fallout New Vegas. Uh, DLC was structured that you don't necessarily have to release DLC immediately after the That's game. That's a good point because Fallout New Vegas. It, no, it's a good point because Fallout New Vegas did jump right back onto the MPD again. So now John's hey John calls me on my BS. I'll give it to him. But this if it charts, if Dungeon Siege three charts, I still win the bet. Oh, I don't. Yeah, whatever. I still win the bet. I don't care. Uh, four two eight, which is one of Chunsoft's adventure games or visual novels is going to iOS. Um, it scored 40 out of 40 when it originally came out for Wii in Japan. Um, not seen in North America. I'd be very interested to see if this iOS port comes out in North America. Please. Uh, if it did, probably wouldn't have the same great translation that 999 did. Please. Um, Please. <laughs> I really want it. <laughs> me too. Me too. That's what she said. Uh, Chrono Trigger 
Final Fantasy 13 2 coming out. Reading the story. <laughs> um, Do we have a release date? No. Uh, oh, no, January. Hmm. September. Smarch. <laughs> Blasted Smarch weather. When I play billiards, I hit for Strahlids and Slipes. <laughs> so wait, is that in Japan or is that in North no, America? No, North, North America in January. Wow. All right. Um, anyway, you'll be time traveling using a game's Historia cross system, which is nothing like Rainy Historia. No, and nothing like Chrono Trigger, even though they specifically mentioned both of those. Each, wait, wait. From, from Liz's news story, each area in the game contains a gate that needs to be activated to in order to access the Historia cross in that area. Huh. <laughs> oh, Square Enix, will you ever learn? Just let French guys make your games from now on. People... No, 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 I am not going to jump the gun on this game. It could be very good. And monkeys could fly out my butt. Do you guys see the news story about how Final Fantasy Versus 13 is now 100% in development? Yeah, that we talked about that like three months ago, Rob. I know, and I'm I still bitched about it then. I'm still laughing about it. Can uh, I put a nice segue in there, but we lost it. Can we talk about uh, Deus Ex numbers? Yes, ship two million copies. Congratulations, Eidos Montreal. Good yes. freaking job. I really Which, hope we get a sequel. Uh, the the game also seems to be following the same route as games like Portal 2 did, where they get really quick price drops in an attempt to continue sales. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, like $35 bucks. on yeah, it's 35 bucks on Amazon right now for the console versions, which makes me interested to know how it did on Steam and how it did on PC. I mean, obviously, yeah, Valve doesn't release numbers on that, which kind of well, bothers me. But One thing that, that I actually want to turn into an editorial or podcast topic at some point is that prices for digital goods are so, 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 so less volatile than prices for – physical product yeah i got final fantasy 13 for 20 bucks and i got at the same time i got bayonetta for 20 bucks this was two months after final fantasy verse uh final fantasy 13 was released 20 bucks i was like whoa and you know i just bought it out of morbid curiosity at that point and it was at a kmart i don't like bayonetta I don't either, but you know, some people really seem to like it. I read that editorial. Steven just posted a really cool article on IGN about someone playing Diablo 2 for the first time. So it's like it's like being a, I, I can't even put words on how it's often like, that would be. It's like being born again. But now, really good job to Idos Montreal. We know what their next project is. It's it's the next Thief game. We're really excited to see that. Really, really excited to see what they do with Deus Ex. I know, and I'm really happy to see that a game, you know, gets some positive press, a game that has problems, but really shows a love by the developers, and I, I really think they did a good job. Great game, so good for them. Yes, absolutely. Persona 4, The Golden, is coming out for PlayStation Vita. We need to pick better names for titles. We'll see if it keeps that name in North America. I hope not. I, but, I, I'm surprised they didn't just call it Persona 4 Portable. Yeah, yeah. well... Which is awesome because Persona 4 was probably my favorite. It was easily my favorite Persona game. I played the ever-loving crap out of that game. Very, very I, I'm, I need to play that one, and I still need to beat 3. I have it on PSP. You know what I really want, John, though? I really want a Persona 4 fighting game. Yeah, oh, I know. Me too. I have no idea where the idea for having a Persona 4 fighting game came from. Atlas is making it. We're obviously not going to cover it here at RPG Fan, but... What the hell? And no, no, no. Atlas is and, just and, publishing it. It's being developed by Axis. Yeah, it's being... Plays no, no, Guilty Gear. And it has Persona 3 characters in it. 
Axis published it. Um, it's uh, uh, Arc System Works. Yep, that's what, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, which is yeah, we're not going to talk about it, but weird and kind of interesting. Yeah, so. I, mean, I would be probably getting it. Our Arc makes good games, so and they yes. did, and the team did announce Persona Five. So they did say that. Well, not an official announcement, but an oh, they, announcement that they're going to make it. They said they're working on it. Like the, they said, like the scenario writer and the graphics guy are like doing stuff. I'm excited. I mean, I I really would like a new Shin Megami. I'd like a an official Shin Megami Tensei game like on the new console. But I'll take a Persona. Like that's totally awesome. I love. I should probably beat Persona Three. I I loved Four. I just didn't beat Three. I got like maybe two thirds of the way through and just kind of. I think life happened at that point. It may be graduate school. I don't know. Something happened. Rob, you should pick up uh, Strange Journey, even though it's not next gen. I have it. Don't you remember? We talked about it on the podcast. That game curb stomped me into a... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's because you suck at Shin Megami Tensei. I forgot. I, I rock a Persona. No, I, I rock a Persona. But I'll freely admit it. I rock a Persona, but like Shin Megami Tensei, that game just confounded me. I was like... I, um, I, you know what game you, you will probably not like then is Innocent Sin Remake for PSP. Okay, I'll avoid it. Because it, it's it's got that whole old school Shin Megami Tensei thing going on. Though, honestly, it's not very difficult. So maybe you won't dislike it. Maybe because I don't suck at games, right, John? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see who plays Dark Souls. I don't care about Dark Souls. What is wrong with you? Dude, Dark Souls is the whole Mega Man thing going on. It's why I don't find Mega Man very fun. It's I, I like there to be some kind of margin of error. Okay, that's true. <laughs> there is a margin of error. If you die, you get wow, well, I back I screwed that up. Damn it. If you get hit in the face, you die. Yeah, exactly. In Mega Man, if you fall in those scary spikes, you die. <laughs> if the bird that flies out of the pit to knock you into the scary spikes hit you, maybe you should have shot him. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot him dead. Shoot him dead. Any more news for us, John? Yes. Um Lord of the Rings expansion Lord of the Rings online expansion pack coming out September twenty seventh. Cool. I'm really um, glad that that is, that is doing well now. That I mean, I wouldn't play it anymore because it's free to play, and I don't like that that setup. But I loved that game before it went that way, and it's really awesome that it's still getting. And, but it's been incredibly successful since it's gone free to play. You know, uh, we're, we've seen also we've seen all of Cryptic's games go free to play. Which this I don't think we actually posted a news story for this on the site, but Star Trek Online is going free to play, which I'm very excited for. Yep. Uh, I know we're we're coming up on okay, Kitty trying to steal the mic. All right, uh, yeah, you're Kitty. going down there. Um, I know John's got to leave in 20 minutes, so I want to make sure we talk about it. Uh, the big announcement out of Japan this week was Dragon Quest 10. I thought it was Diablo 3 beta. Shush. Sorry. Tell us, John, a little bit about Dragon Quest 10, and then we can discuss. Uh, so Dragon Quest is like an MMO now, apparently, or some kind of garbage like that. Um, now, so as previously announced, Dragon Quest X is coming out on Wii, which was a great idea when it was first announced. Um, not so much now. Well, it's on Wii U as well, and it's interoperable, isn't it? Yeah, true. Um, so the game is online. There will be a cost to play online. You will have to be online to play the game, even if you're playing single player. Uh, It will feature some kind of 3DS interoperability. We don't know how or what. Um, You know, if this game hadn't been in development as long as it had been, I could see a giant backtrack 
like we saw for Dragon Quest IX. When Dragon Quest IX was first announced, it looked more like an action RPG, like everything was done from the top-down view. And then Japan just, like, screamed. You know, thousands of voices cried out in anguish and then were suddenly silenced. And they just went back and were like, oh, okay, we'll just make that Dragon Quest game that we've been making for the past 25 years. If this game hadn't been in development that long, I, I could see that happening again. But I, yeah, I think... what. Well, what I think is going to happen, at least in the minds of fans, is the same thing that happened with Final Fantasy XI and Final Fantasy XIV, where it's pretty much going to be the one-off. Yeah. I don't see this being, you know, people are going to say, oh, yeah, so there's there's really Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10, 2, 12, 13, 13, 2, 15. Yeah, I kind of see that, too. I think that... Which, isn't that interesting how that how that works out? Both of the games whose direct sequel were online RPGs had direct sequels of their own. Hmm. hmm. Good point. True. I I just think that um, you know, from what I saw at Dragon Quest Ten, I was kind of intrigued, and then when I start hearing things about subscription services for a console game, when I start seeing the combat, it just like I I think it's early on this. I'm yeah. I'm still interested to see what's going on. I am skeptical. I do we I, think it do we think it could sell? Um it's got the Dragon Quest name on it, so yes. Huh. I I, I don't will will it sell in North America is a completely different story. I think that's a negative because Dragon Quest 9 didn't sell in America. It, it's been very interesting how um the the past couple of Dragon Quest games have been published by Nintendo. Which, initially, when the DS first launched, Nintendo published the Square games, and then Square self-published most of the games on the platform, and then Nintendo went back to publishing the Dragon Quest games, which mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know what's going on there, but it happened. Steven, you were trying to say something in there? Uh, I was just going to add my—I'm um, not terribly interested in it, mostly because I despise Dragon Quest, and so for me, I— it's interesting to see it happen because everybody flipped out over Final Fantasy XI being online, but then it sold pretty well. I mean, for an MMO, and I can hey, see the same you... thing happening here. It's just, what? Well, it's I, just... I, I can't help but register complete apathy because I hate the art design, I hate the music, I hate the whimsicality, I hate the writing. How can you hate whimsy? Because if I want whimsy, I won't play an epic RPG that takes hundreds of hours. I'll play you, like. No, you know, do you know what's wrong with Dragon Quest? Is that every character looks like Goku, even the slimes, every, except for the women. They look like Bulma. I, and then the battle music starts, and the, the the battle music is all like doodly 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 do 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 do. Here's the clouds, and everything's happy. No, I'll give you that. I think the battle music in and I almost said Final Fantasy in Dragon Quest Nine wasn't really good, but I loved Dragon Quest Eight. I Dragon, loved that game. Dragon Quest Eight had a really cool world map, and I will give it that. And I was more entertained by it than any other Dragon Quest because I made it six hours in, and then I got tired of my characters looking ridiculous and the story being stupid and whimsical and. Yeah, I just I really like I, that. I, state. I just don't think it's my kind of games. Okay, can I just point out to the listeners real quick that I am defending a JRPG right now. So everybody that says that we don't like JRPGs and oh Rob only likes Demon Souls, I love Dragon Quest Eight. Screw all of you. I think I think Dragon Quest Eight is the best one I've played, and I've played like I played the ones they released on DS. I played Nine, which I guess was also on DS, and I like the the concepts in Nine. I just I don't know. I guess it's the fact that it still feels like an NES game, just with a slightly nicer coat of paint and 
goofy writing. No, I can definitely see it though. But I I think that Dragon Quest Ten is. I don't know. I mean, Japan threw such a hissy fit over nine, and this is way more radical. Like, I don't know. This is kind of I, I. I was not expecting this. I was expecting Dragon Quest Ten to maybe be like a co-op game or something. Like, you know, battles were co-op with a friend to kind of tie into the whole Wii thing. You not, know, they, they did already though. release a Dragon Quest game for Wii, and it was absolutely abysmal. Was that uh, Swords or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just. I, this is not what I was I was not expecting an MMO and I think that I'm not trying to kick Square Enix when they're down please don't take it that way but I don't exactly trust them with MMOs after the absolute disaster that was Final <laughs> Fantasy 14. And you know what you can respect them trying to save it but the fact of the matter is the market doesn't have memory of that the memory is not good enough for that and it's already failed. No one's ever going to buy it again. I'll, I'll be honest. I have trouble remembering that that game came out. Yeah, I, here, here's honestly what and and I hope Square Enix realizes. You know what? Would you know what you do with a failing MMO? You reboot it and you turn it into a free to play franchise. Yeah, to get some cash it, flow out of it. You know, if you turn Final Fantasy XIV into a microtransaction game, yeah, you spent a crap load developing this game, and it doesn't have the wide range of computers that it can run on, like most free-to-play games. But, you know what, you can make, I'm sure that they can make more money transforming this into a free-to-play game than they can selling the collector's edition for $20 and collecting no monthly service fees. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's actually, John should work at Square Enix, but please don't leave, John, because we like having you on the show. <laughs> but no, I think I think he just did it. I think he just saved that game because... And I'm sorry, but I just do not trust Square Enix with another MMO. Now, granted, Dragon Quest X has been in development for a long, long time. So let's let's hope that this is what they've wanted to do and they've been working on it real hard. Like, I don't wish any ill will on them. It's just I do a collective head scratch. You know what? I I just came to the realization of something is the Final Fantasy XIV subscription system. And I remember this from when I first set up my account. It, it had like crystal points or something like that, which which would indicate because you, you would buy crystal points and you could use your crystal points on your subscription mm-hmm. that that might have been a precursor to they intended to introduce microtransactions even before any of this stuff happened. Could be. I don't know. Could be. Could be. But I think we got to see. I think Dragon Quest Ten kind of surprising everybody, I, you know. I, I'll admit the CG trailer looked awesome, and then I saw the actual game, and I was like, oh, hey, that's right. It's on Do you know what MMO is going to be awesome, though? The Old Republic. I am cautiously optimistic. I'll try it. I like Bioware a lot, and I like Star Wars a lot. I don't like World of Warcraft a lot, and that's where my problem is coming from. Because even if you insert Mass Effect conversations into World of Warcraft, it's still a grind fest that involves... I don't know. But remember, we were what? talking about this the other day, Stephen. Like, World of Warcraft is completely different now than it used to be. Like, I would actually play World of Warcraft right now because they've taken the grind out of the game. Yeah, World of Warcraft is like one of the least grindy MMOs out there. Yeah, I, I would actually enjoy it. Like, it plays more like, like Diablo now. I, I, I know, but it's the, I've like, played it, it. I've played it since they released Cataclysm. Like, I played my free trial or whatever. And yes, they've made it less grindy, but it doesn't change the fact that levels one through sixty are still incredibly boring. Like, it's just you know go do here, you... do all these quests. Okay, no, go it's... there, do all these quests. What's interesting about World of Warcraft now is that you can go and you can PvP your way up the levels. Really? Like, if you go and you... Battlegrounds give experience now. Do they give a lot of it? I don't know. 
would it be possible for a level one character to kill a level eighty character within two hours? Uh, the the battlegrounds are are bracketed. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I, I think it's level nineteen when you can get your first one. But so is there a reason why you brought up Old Republic, or were you just saying that it's going to be awesome? I, we were talking about MMOs. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I think I want to. I want to try it out. Like I'm. I I don't want to write it off. Like admittedly, I'm way more interested in Guild Wars Two because that game looks awesome. But I I don't want to write it off because Bioware has a tendency to make awesome things. So yeah, damn them making. I like how you said that though. It sounded like you were saying, "God damn them! They just make awesome things sometimes." Like we're mad at them for it. Like even well, we we talked about it to death. But even their misses are still pretty good. Like I had a you know I had a good time playing. Uh, dragon qu- thing, uh, whatever it was. Dragon <laughs> <laughs> too many dragons. dragons. E- even, Bi- even Bioware's worst game, which is in my opinion, uh, Sonic Chronicles, was yeah. not awful. No, it wasn't awful. It wasn't good, but I mean, it was fun-ish. I, but it, it's a, an RPG using a character that has no. I, and I'm going to get hell from Sonic fans for this. That, that he has no personality other than I am fast. He has the personality of Julia White. No, he's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what they need to do? They need to make a Sonic RPG. First of all, they need to finish it because that was the problem with Sonic Chronicles is that it was glitchy and unfinished. They need to make a Sonic RPG, do whatever they want with it, but they just need to make it have the storyline of the awesome Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, I'll actually go along with that. I loved that Saturday morning cartoon. Like, even the infectious theme song, which that, now it's in my head, and that's going to kill me. Even back in the 90s, dude, there there are so few shows that take themselves seriously like that. Like, it still had humor, but that's why that's the most, you know, a lot of people love that show is because it has, like, this deep plot. Not a, not a deep plot, but the characters have personalities. And, like, there are ramifications to what's going on. Like, it's pretty dark did, for a kid. Did a the kid Sonic show. Saturday morning cartoon just take over our podcast? Yes, yes it did. did. All right. Let's, let's, all right. I think we need to cut this. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, Steven, you want to tell people about what's coming up if they keep listening to the podcast? Um, well, coming up next, uh, Rob and I had the pleasure of talking to Darren Korb from Supergiant Games. Uh, for those of you who don't know, those are the guys that made, gave us Bastion, which is awesome. Um, Darren Corb was the composer and he handled basically all of the sound duties in the game. Um, and we had a chance to chat with him for a pretty good amount of time. Um, so that's up next. So please enjoy that and please support Bastion cause it's a great game and it's their, it's their first effort. So, you know, hit it. Yep, definitely. A uh, big thank you to Darren on that one for uh, coming on to the show. If you guys want to see more interviews, you know, let us know. We're going to try to line stuff up like that. Uh, if, if you are a person that has a video game that is in fact an RPG. Yes, if anyone's, if anyone's working on Diablo three and you should yes, be finishing if, that game, you know, but, if you if you want to be working on Diablo three and you'd like to chat with me about it, perhaps throw me a beta key or yeah, five. please, please, um, you know, that's please, willing, we are willing, please, to come onto our podcast and talk to us. We are willing to allow that to happen. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just a little tiny game. All right. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. As always, please subscribe to us on iTunes through the RSS feed. Uh, Make sure to give us comments. Uh, Make sure to discuss on the boards. You know, we we definitely like to talk back and forth. Podcast at RPGFan.com. Yep, we are are reading your letters. (laughs) We... We, we do see them. We actually, over the past couple of weeks, we got several letters. I, I only check the account like once a week, so if I don't respond to you immediately, it's not because I'm ignoring you. I've responded to every letter that we've gotten every time I check it. Yeah, Unless we, you leave us negative feedback, in which case we ignore you. 
<laughs> no, we really like to get the feedback, guys. It's nice to know that people are listening to the podcast and enjoying it for the most part. So uh, thanks again, everybody, and stay tuned for the interview. And then hopefully next time we're going to be talking about Xenoblade. So later. Look, Big Daddy, it's regular daddy. Bye. Well, welcome everybody to a special portion of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Simon, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, joining me today, we have Stephen Myrink. Taylor's on the boards. And we have a very special guest, uh, the soundtrack composer for Bastion, Darren Korb. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so, Stephen, this is really your thing, man. Like, uh, Stephen went out of his way to organize this interview, uh, talking with Darren, making sure we could talk about the game. So I'm going to let him take over, and I'm going to do something I don't do very often and just shut up. <laughs> Darren, you should come over more often. Oh, th- thank you. Thank you. <laughs> shut up. That's good. Okay. Well, um, I guess we talked about it a little bit before, but, you know, we'll just go over it again now so that way all the listeners can get it. Um, mm-hmm. Can we get, you know, sort of maybe a, a little bit of your background and, you know, music and w- what your uh, tasks on the game were and, you know, maybe a little bit like that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my my background mainly is as, you know, like a songwriter, performer um, and things like that. And then, you know, I, I got into production and composing, um, engineering, that kind of stuff. Um so that's my main background, and I and I hadn't really worked in games before uh, Bastion. And on Bastion, I did all of the audio, sound design, um, and recording, and, and as well as uh, all the, the music composition and everything. Okay. Um, I know a big part of Bastion that a lot of people love, me in particular, is the narrator. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have any input in selecting the narrator or in how that was implemented? Well, uh, yeah, I suppose just because uh, Logan, who's the narrator, we were roommates actually at the time that that the game uh, that, that that started working on the game. And Logan is, you know, a friend of mine and Amir's back from, you know, we all grew up in San Jose and Logan and I went to high school together. Amir and Logan played soccer together when they were kids. So so we've known each other for years. Um, and when we were kind of prototyping the game and just trying to to figure out different ways to like tell a story in the game without like stopping basically (laughs) was our goal. Um, We started, we decided, well, Hey, Logan's, you know, a a rad actor. Let's have him, you know, do some narration and see, see how it fits. Um, And that was, that was, that was it. (laughs) Now, has he, has he done any acting? You said he's an actor. Has he done Mm -hmm. like voice acting before or what kind of, what kind of experience does he, does he have? mostly like theater kind of stuff and like small film projects. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's a good dude. He, but yeah, this is, this is kind of his first real, uh, voice work. Uh, I believe. Yeah, we need to make sure he does more things. Cause I like, totally agree. <laughs> that smooth, like jazz voice just had me like in that world. And I, I really appreciate it. And it was such an interesting way of telling the story with a narrator. When you first hear that Bastion is going to be telling you the story through a narrator, you start going, wow, that's going to be really annoying. But he doesn't say like, he kills the guy, he kills the next guy, he kills the mm-hmm. next guy. There's like a style to it. Did you have any part in the writing of that aspect? So uh, basically all the writing was done by Greg Kasaman. Um, you know, Logan and I would edit a word here and there sometimes when we were recording, but no, Greg Greg did did all the principal writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and Amir kind of acted as his editor a little bit, but uh, but yeah, Greg was the writer. Now, uh, I was actually curious too, because I know, um, I guess it's like the elephant of the room, I guess. 
Uh, Greg used to write for Games GameSpot. I remember. I, I mean, I practically grew up reading, you know, the stuff he mm -hmm. wrote. Mm -hmm. And I remember he left to say he was making games. Did how did you uh, meet Greg? Is was he already on the team, or did he, uh, you know, and ever all the developers and stuff? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so Greg so Amir worked at EA LA with Greg and Gavin, who are you know Gavin is a co-founder of the company. And, uh, you know, even when they were working at EALA, like kind of towards the end, I, you know, they had just been sh shooting around some ideas about wouldn't it be fun to, you know, leave all this nonsense and go and and, uh, and just, you know, make Bastion. Yeah. Make make something cool like by ourselves. Um, so so Greg, you know, definitely like, um, you know, he's 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 got involved because of Amir's kind of relationship with him and they were roommates actually at one point um in la when they were both working at ea for a bit okay and then um i guess it must have also been the uh digital distribution must have made it much easier for you guys to get this game you know developed and published and all that just because you didn't you didn't need like a big publisher and all that was was um oh man this one's difficult i guess was the the fact that you could release it digitally and not have to release it brick and mortar, you know, go through all the you know, yeah. publisher and all that nonsense? Was mm -hmm. that a big factor in when you guys decided, hey, we can do this? Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of the inspiration for the idea to start to, to, to try and do this was actually games, you know, like kind of some of arcade titles and stuff like, you know, Castle Crashers and Braid mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. Limbo, you know, more, more recently Limbo and things like that, that that we really think are incredible games that that are just like, kind of like slightly smaller experiences in scope and just like a really nice um, uh, kind of a game that reminded us more of like, you know, the way games kind of used to be, which which uh, which we really which we really enjoyed. The classics. So it, yeah. And, and also, I mean, it just makes it feasible for for a small company like us to to get our game to a lot of people. I mean, the the model of just distributing physical copies of something into stores is so so much overhead. It's so it takes such a crazy amount of capital behind you to be able to do that you know yeah i mean this that's exactly why i'm so behind this you know this digital distribution thing like i mean i know people that say oh you know it sucks we can't get a physical copy but it just it really opens up so many more people to being able to you know get a game out there Absolutely. and to get you know i mean imagine if digital distribution didn't exist we wouldn't have a game like limbo or you know bastion or braid and those yep. games are like some of the most well-regarded games around no i mean absolutely i i i i yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's been one of the coolest things to happen. Like this generation of games was is just like the downloadable model. You know, it allows for all sorts of different types of stuff now, not just like giant AAA stuff. Exactly. Not everything has to be a Gears of War scale production. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, I guess a small question: Are do you think you'll uh, dive back in and do another game soundtrack? Uh, that is, I mean, that's the hope. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I uh, plan to work on whatever the next super giant game is <laughs> that's that's my plan and you know i've got some other projects kind of going on the side but but that's that's the my main my main focus i'm sure there'll be quite a few people happy to hear that um so what um when you when you're composing the soundtrack for bastion uh what were some of your influences like did you have like a concept in mind like you know i know you said you had sort of a tone in mind but when you sat down and said i want it to be like this what did you have in mind yeah, so uh, a few things guided me to where I eventually got to, I guess, with the with the Bastion music. I, I think part of it was, you know, an awareness of kind of the stuff that I had already heard in games, and I knew that I wanted to do something not really like any of that stuff. Um, you know, there's the, like, 
kind of straight electronic thing. There's like the orchestral thing. There's like the heavy rock thing or some combination of those three, you know, and I didn't really want to do any of that, um, any of those things specifically, you know. Um, and so I was based on kind of the tone that we were trying to go for for the game and everything, which was like kind of like a gritty, like frontiersy game. But it's also a fantasy, you know, and and um, and things like that um, led me to this idea of, um, you know, well, first of all, uh, to interrupt, to backtrack a little bit, I I wanted in order to create a bunch of music for something that was cohesive without get getting repetitive. I wanted to set up a genre for myself, like right at the beginning, you know? So I decided based on kind of the requirements that, uh, acoustic frontier trip hop was kind of like what I would shoot for. <laughs> you know what? That's, I was going to say, I said, you know, I got a really like wild westy, like jazzy yep. vibe from it. Yep. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's, that's all, all in there. I mean, it's definitely, I wanted to make it, you know, eclectic um and kind of otherworldly in that there's some like a lot of kind of exotic sounds and instruments but also kind of grounded and westerny with acoustic guitars and stuff and then kind of modern and urban with with the uh, the trip hop kind of percussion it kind of helps to enhance like the wild atmosphere of the visuals like that you're you're talking about a game that's very like you know a tile set that's forming ahead of you it's just full of color it's it's mm -hmm. full of like wonder for lack of a better word and i i thought the music really complemented that well it's not it's not a soundtrack that i could readily hum but mm -hmm. it's a soundtrack that felt very much a part of the experience, if yeah. that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it was very diegetic. I mean, you're literally, I mean, you're playing the game. You're literally blazing a trail. I mean, it's appearing before you. And I thought, you know, I first heard the soundtrack when it was available for download. Mm -hmm. I was actually coming back from Montreal. And I'm sitting in an airport, like, desperately trying to download it so I can listen to it on the flight. Nice. And, you know, I listen to the first track. And I'm like, man, this sounds crazy. It, you know, it literally sounds like this, like, wild, westy, like, you know, I, I definitely felt that vibe. So, I mean, in that way, I would say it was a total success. Awesome, man. Thank you. That's that's really cool. Um, so I guess uh, I think we kind of already covered this. But so you you pretty much had full creative control. Like, did did you have any back and forth with anyone else on the team? Like, you know, they said, hey, can we change up this track or, hey, can we adjust the sound in this portion? Like, you know, what, uh, what kind of back and forth did you guys have going there? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we had uh, some back and forth stuff. I mean, basically the way the general way uh, as far as far as making the musical pieces went, I, I would, you know, we would talk about, OK, we need like a, a town music piece or whatever. And I'd go and like take a stab at that. And then I'd come back with something and either people would have comments and I'd do some adjustments or or not sometimes. Um, and we just had a piece. Um, but, you know, sometimes it would be, well, so this world is going to have like a Byzantine kind of feel. And we need like a, an intense piece, like a normal, like set up the theme piece and like a mellow piece, like all in that kind of vein. So we kind of grouped, grouped like pieces by world sometimes. And I did it that way. Um, but but basically, yeah, I had just sort of general re requirements for the piece and then I would go and make it. And then and then we do a little bit of, you know, tweaking sometimes, basically. OK, cool. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this this next question is a little more general, but. Uh... You, you touched on, you know, they were working at EA together and, you know, they said, wouldn't it be great to develop this? Where, where did the actual concept for, you know, OK, this world's been destroyed while the kid was asleep? Um, you know, the, the whole idea for the game, like where, where did that come from? You know, what, from what point were you involved? Um, well, I mean, I was I was involved 
so so the game or you know evolved it was pretty or, or pretty organic in terms of how the game evolved uh basically it started out with some high level ideas about you you know wanted to have an action rpg where you know you kind of build the world around you and that was a really high like one thing that was an idea at the beginning and then another part was um like the tone of like kind of gritty uh bleak like cormac mccarthy novel kind of thing was like another another kind of influence we had at the beginning so we wanted to accomplish um those things and then the the story kind of evolved uh from from those high level ideas I definitely feel the Cormac McCarthy influence at times. Like mm-hmm. I had just gotten done reading The Road and I had cool. started playing the game and it was – it's very desolate and that almost feels to contrast with the visual style. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of linked together with the musical style in a way. Like the the visual style again is, is very poppy, very very like wonder and then the music is, is kind of – I don't want to say ominous but it definitely feels like – it, it, it's almost oppressive a little bit like it, <laughs> it yeah exactly there's there's definitely a men- melancholy about it and then yep. you have the narrator also adding to that so it's it's like this weird mishmash that somehow works in the vein of what you're playing like it doesn't feel like fallout it doesn't feel like years of war it feels mm-hmm. very much much its own very individualistic well cool. yeah thanks we, i mean we, we we definitely wanted to do something that was not like a gray brown apocalypse you know we want to do something where and i think it falls in line with a lot some of the themes of the game where there's you know this a lot of beauty to be still found in this world that's been destroyed you know Uh um there there are a lot of things about this world that are still beautiful and 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 impressive and amazing and and kind of fill you with wonder you know To talk about soundtracks a little bit, um, we talked – we had like a soundtrack episode uh, way back in the day on the podcast, and we talked about how like game music is really changing. And, and in the pre-show warm-up, we talked about you know NES movie uh, music. We talked about you know classic NES stuff that you know you hum and it gets into your head and it's kind of there. And it feels like musical scores in gaming are becoming much more complicated. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, very few games have that score that you can readily hum. Like, you know, it's I more, know it's more atmospheric. Right. It's more like film scores now. Uh-huh. But, but even film scores like, you know, the Inception soundtrack, for example, like that, you, you remember those drums, you remember the feeling mm-hmm. of that music. And it almost feels like some games are letting the music kind of fade away into the background. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do, do you see that happening, too? Or am I just imagining that? Well, you know, I, I just think it depends on the, the what is required of the music for that game. You know what I mean? Like like some games require like a simple, catchy, like Super Mario theme song or whatever, you know, um, it's something that you're going to hear over and over again, you know, where a certain, you know, a lot of games now you have the ability to have kind of more, more different music you know, and the less you hear something, the less likely it is it's going to stick in your brain, you know. So uh, <laughs> uh-huh. I, I think I think it's possible that if you if you heard some of this video game music a little bit more, it would probably do that same thing where it drills into your mind like the, uh, the all the different Mario music, you know. Uh-huh. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think it really depends on kind of what's what's called for uh, in the game that you're playing uh, or, or, or making. No, I can okay. definitely see that. I can definitely see that. Steven, you were trying to say something? Actually, I was going to ask a, um, more of a technical question. Um, mm-hmm. 
what kind of like software or like hardware do you use when you're when you or for, we'll go with Bastion for example when you when you wrote and composed Bastion? Uh, I use Logic Pro version eight for for all the stuff for Bastion and everything, and that's I, I really had a great great time using that actually. It, it it just the tools it just makes it really easy to go from like a concept to something kind of done very very quickly um, just because of a lot of like amazing presets and just like really. Once you become familiar with the software, it has like it's like really really powerful. Okay. So yeah, I, I use that and and basically uh, you know all the I use pretty much like one microphone I think for like everything that I recorded live. Uh, it's like Shure KSM32 and a Digio2 uh, audio interface uh, for the computer and everything. And use my closet as the uh, the recording booth. <laughs> I have a uh, to just get away from soundtracks just for a second. It's kind of a it's a review question. Uh, Stephen and I both do reviews for the site, mm -hmm. and um, I know that if I was reviewing uh, Bastion, I would find it difficult. Not from you know any other aspect than the fact that it's a fifteen dollar download title, mm -hmm. and it's very hard. I feel personally to review the game in that bubble of a $15 download title. So invariably what ends up happening is we compare it to a $60 big budget triple A mm -hmm. release. And it, you know, it becomes hard for me to sit there and go, well, if we say that such and such game is an eight or a nine and meanwhile, uncharted or assassin's creed gets an eight or a nine, how do we make those things equivalent? I mean, I, I sometimes feel that the smaller download games need to almost be reviewed in a different way. Is there a feeling of that? I mean, there's so much pressure from Metacritic and from game rankings. There's so much pressure put on game developers today. Like, how do they respond to that? You know, we need to get the review up, but we're also even releasing a smaller game. We're basically in direct conflict with other titles. We're competing with them. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if I, you know, I don't know. I, for me, it's like if the game is good, I mean, it, I, how much you pay for the game is one thing based, you know, because I guess in a review value is part of what you're reviewing the game on to a degree. You know, if a game is is $15 and you feels really valuable for $15 and that's something that's good about the game. Right. But but if a game is the same game were $60, maybe you wouldn't rate it so highly mm -hmm. for example so i think it is something that that is definitely like the price point of a game is is probably a, a factor in a lot of reviews but i don't know that you know i i mean maybe like in terms of uh how big the experience is and how much of your time you can put into the experience um is probably mostly what i've you know having read a bunch of kinds of reviews for our game and other games um it, it seems like that's a factor uh where you know if someone were to play people j feel like you know for example bastion have seemed to have felt it's like a good value you know where you mm -hmm. you get your money's worth out of out of your 15 bucks um which is you know great i mean we're happy that people feel like it's a it's an experience where they they think they paid a you know a good amount or less than they could have, you know, which, which is something I think that's, that's cool. But beyond, beyond, uh, beyond the value, I don't know that the price point should, you know. See, I actually agree with that. I, for me, when I'm reviewing something, it's, it's not a matter of how much it costs, 
so much like you know i'll say that i'll go all right this game's 15 bucks it's 20 hours long and it's the yeah. quality of say limbo or bastion yeah. you know that's a great value but when i'm reviewing the game itself i feel like i have to almost review it not in a vacuum but you know you say is this game fun is it not fun because absolutely sure no matter exactly. how much it, no matter how much it costs if it's 15 or 60 if you're enjoying the experience then in some way it is worth it to you mm-hmm. it's just yeah. a matter of you know how far is it going to stretch you know mm-hmm. you're much happier when you you know, play a three-hour downloadable game, then you play a three-hour $60 game. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you guys. It's just, I think that we get so caught up in numbers. I mean, what what is the first thing that someone does when they open up a review? They scroll right down to the number. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I think what we really need to do in games journalism is we really need to say, you know, this is the experience that I had with this game. And to get away from the number, it's, it's kind of an overall feeling. Like, you know, I agonize sometimes about what score I give a game. And I'm like, sure. is it coming through? in the writing more than anything else mm-hmm. absolutely so, yeah it's difficult it's difficult okay well i've got two more uh, i think probably easy ones for you um, okay okay uh future work if you you know you're hoping to do another game absolutely. i know that this may be you know going a little far in the future but do you have anything in mind that you'd like to try like in terms of like in terms of audio like you know a theme or you know you're saying oh man i'd really like to do something that sounds like blade runner or something like that yeah, I've got I've got some stuff. I'm not really I can't really talk about any of it actually right now, but um, <laughs> but I do definitely Dang. have some some goals, uh, you know, for future projects and stuff that I'm really like like creative preoccupations and stuff like New that. New Marble Madness uh, confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think the uh, the narrator would come back in a future game, or do you think that's a you know a Bastion thing? Yeah, I mean I'm I couldn't say I I don't really know. It just it's kind of up to whatever the new whatever project yeah lends itself to you know um we we i think the same people the same team is going to make the game whatever we do next so so it's definitely going to have things that feel i think familiar to people and 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 identify um you know identify it as a game made by us you know but other than that i yep yep but other other than that i don't really (laughs) i don't really know all right well this is my last question and we Mm -hmm. i actually we asked you this before we started the show Mm -hmm. but um just for the listener's pleasure, uh, can you tell us your favorite uh, game soundtrack and you know maybe a reason why? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, uh, so Marble Madness for Nintendo, this specifically <laughs> the Nintendo one, uh, and, and here's why. So, first of all, the compositions, just the pieces themselves, are just really cool and just weird. They're pretty like off the wall kind of. Um, kind of compositions and the way they work with that game is is super is just awesome just because the game has a really unique visual style and the combination of those two things is is incredible i think but what's also awesome is just the way the compositions work with the nintendo synth like the you know what generates the sound when on the nintendo and uh and if you listen to that same score like like for the sega version or the arcade version it just doesn't sound as good it's just like different you know different synths it's just like not it loses that magic you know yeah the the genesis and the mass system sound distinctly different for everything yep. but mm-hmm. absolutely yep mm-hmm. okay uh rob do you have anything you wanted to ask uh yeah i have a, i have a question about the creative process um <laughs> so you were you were involved from with bastion from the beginning so you kind of saw like i mean tell me if i'm wrong but you kind of saw the game evolve through artwork and through game mechanics and so you're creating the music to go to go along with that do you think that that's a process that is usually happening in the games industry or do you have experience with that because there are some soundtracks that you listen to and it's kind of like the soundtrack is good but it doesn't 
it doesn't mesh very well with what you're seeing on screen and then other games like Bastion really the music is definitely a part of the experience you can tell that it's been crafted the whole way through I mean for you as a musical creator do you enjoy being a part of the process from the very beginning and being given like a freedom to go about meshing the music with the visual with the visual style Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so to answer the first part of that, I, I don't think it's the norm, actually. I think it's mu like much more the exception than the rule, because what will usually happen on a project is that the sound designer and the and the composer will be brought on kind of at, right at the end just to like, OK, here's the game, put sound to it like more like a wow. you know, like a movie score or something, you know, like like that's kind of how that that happens usually is like the composer will get like a finished movie and they'll have to score to exactly what's happening, you know, um, uh, or, you know, usually, I mean, it varies, but, uh, but, you know, so I, I really, it was just a wonderful kind of experience to be able to, to work on the project like this, because, you know, it, it's super, it's really creatively fulfilling. It's really interesting because you, you know, it's just this experience that I think is pretty unique where it's, we we had the opportunity to have this really cool synthesis between all these different uh, disciplines, you know, of all these people who, you know, on this team who are really great at what they do. You know, Jen's art is amazing. Greg's writing is amazing. Amir's designs. I mean, everybody like Gavin and Andrew, the program is incredible. So everybody's work is so cool. And when you have an opportunity to like bounce your your thing off of their thing and vice versa, it just it becomes, you know, like really, really rewarding. Cool. Cool. All right. So we always on the show, we always talk about what we've been playing and what games mm -hmm. we're looking forward to. So I got to ask you, you know, what game have you been playing and what is the game that you're most looking forward to this holiday season? Oh, man. Jeez. Uh, yeah. I, know, I asked the hard questions. That's sorry. a tough one. Yeah, I played fan. We asked the tough questions. <laughs> so I, I so cause this was like, I guess, a couple a month or two ago now. But I played Clash of Heroes recently, which I thought was like super awesome i had a great time with that i just love the the puzzling in that game and thought that was a lot of fun um geez other stuff i've been playing um a little bit of a bunch of different things um trying to catch up on a ton of stuff so uh, <laughs> i've been playing um you know i like every couple few months i'll pick up plans versus zombies again actually and just like play it for another 20 hours because it's so <laughs> awesome um Unlike all the, I own that game on like three platforms. It's so good. You know, I've never played it. Is it that good? I oh, dude. <laughs> dude, it's so good. It's just like, <laughs> it's so good. It came out on Android like two months ago and it was free. And so I was like, all right, I'll try it. It's free. And my God. Oh, man. It, that game. You'll play for 10 minutes. Then all of a sudden it's like an hour later. You're like, oh, crap. I got to go. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, it, it's hard to put it down. It's it's amazing. And just the tone of it. And the, oh, man, it's just like so funny and quirky. And the gameplay itself is just like so tight and so well designed. And like it's like a tower defense game kind of. But it's at its core. But it's just like super frantic and super exciting and and really fun. Yeah, it's a great game. Cool. Um, and then what was the other part of the question? What uh, am I excited I, for? Yeah, the most ex the game you're most excited for this holiday. Besides, you know, Bastion, of course. But, you know. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> oh man, um, I, does does uh, Arkham City count as a holiday release? Is I would that, say it does. Close enough, because <laughs> it's earlier than that. But I'm, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. Ar Arkham Asylum was wonder. I love that game, so I'm I'm very excited about Arkham City. Um, let's see what else. Oh gosh, you're I'd have to say I'm allowed to say Uncharted. 
not on my show. <laughs> not on my show. You can say Uncharted if you want no, to. You we, don't, we don't. We don't. We don't. We just humor Rob. One of the most no, overrated games. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll just keep it to one. I'll keep it to. I'll keep it to 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 uh, Arkham City. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that game. Excellent, excellent. Well, Darren, uh, I mean, you want to tell people uh, your soundtrack just became just uh, went out for release. You want to tell people about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we are, you know, selling the Baskin soundtrack on uh, Bandcamp uh, and as well as a couple different places. It's on iTunes as well now. And uh, and yeah, well, you can get a signed limited edition physical copy if you want or uh, or buy a, a digital download. Is there a way that the narrator can come to my house and just tuck me in at night? <laughs> I don't know. You have to talk to him about that. He might charge extra. But. You're going to have a real solid night, Rob. <laughs> Get drifted off to dreamland. Yeah. Why does that sound scarier than I think it is? <laughs> Darren, thank yep. you so much. Uh, it was great having you on the show. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate you putting up with my my slow email process. Oh, no, no problem. <laughs> yeah, if you you know when you're working on another game, if you want to come by and talk to us about that, you know that's great. You know, I'm looking forward to another Marble Madness. So you know, let's let's do this. So. <laughs> yes, yes, I wish, I wish. All right, well, thank you very much. All right, thanks a bunch. 